When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello and welcome. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to another Headlines episode over here at Sustainable Minimalists. On Headlines, we do things differently. Today, I'm covering three and a half. Yes, that's right. Three and a half need to know news stories that have something to do with environmentalism, conscious consumption, etc. Today, we're starting out in my backyard, essentially. We're starting out in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's a city. It's the home of Harvard University. Maybe you've heard of it. Well, two years ago, a tiny forest, and I do mean tiny, it's just 4,000 square feet, a tiny forest was planted atop an old landfill site. And these days, this tiny forest is doing wonderfully. Its aspens are growing at twice the speed than normally expected. This tiny forest has absorbed storm water without washing out. It has stayed lush throughout last year's drought. Within just a few years, the saplings will be as tall as telephone poles, and this tiny forest, which again is about the size of a basketball court, will be self-sufficient. This tiny forest in my backyard of Cambridge is part of a sweeping movement that is transforming ugly, and I use the word ugly with love, but ugly sites such as landfills, such as highway shoulders, such as parking lots and schoolyards and junkyards all around the world. Tiny forests have been planted in Europe, Africa, Asia, South America, India. I could go on and on. Tiny forests are now slowly growing here in the U.S. In recent years, they have been planted in Washington State, in Los Angeles's Griffith Park, and here in Cambridge, where two more tiny forests are slated for creation. What's interesting to me about these tiny forests is it is so much more detailed and complex than just planting some seeds in the soil and hoping they grow. No, no, no. These tiny forests are grown according to the vision of Japanese botanist Akira Miyawaki. In 2006, Dr. Miyawaki won the Blue Planet Prize, which is considered the environmental equivalent of a Nobel Award, for his very specific method of creating fast-growing native forests. It is a very intense process that involves soil restoration and planting native flora close together. Multiple layers are sown in a dense arrangement, three to five plantings per square meter so that the plants compete for resources while underground bacteria and fungal communities thrive. Now, of course, this sounds detailed. If it's detailed, it's likely expensive. 
These tiny forests can indeed be expensive. This particular forest in Cambridge cost 18000 for the plants and the soil amendments. And then on top of that, another ten grand was added to the price for consulting fees of the forest creators. And now just for the sake of comparison, let's let's round up. Let's say this forest costs $30,000. A road in Cambridge, Massachusetts costs just $1,800 to build. However, proponents say the benefits of these tiny forests far outweigh the financial costs. Tiny forests, just like normal forests, they sequester carbon, obviously, which we need lots of, more of on large scale. In urban areas in particular, like Cambridge, Massachusetts, tiny forests can help lower temperatures in those places where pavement and buildings and concrete absorb and retain heat from the sun. And specifically to Miyawaki forests, their biggest benefit is they can grow as quickly as 10 times the speed of conventional tree plantations, where a natural forest could take a century or more to mature. A Miyawaki forest can take just a few decades, and that, of course, enables them to support more wildlife and to sequester more carbon. The most interesting aspect of a Miyawaki forest, in my humble opinion, this is the last thing we'll say about tiny forests and then we'll move on, but the most interesting aspect to this methodology of creating a tiny forest is that Miyawaki forests require local residents to do the planting. Why? When local residents do the planting, they forge connections with these young and tiny woodlands. Pretty amazing. So we're moving on to some really sad news, and it has everything to do with penguins. Have you ever seen the movie Happy Feet? Robin Williams plays like three characters. It is a feel-good animated movie about emperor penguins. The main character I forgot his name, but he can't sing, but he can dance. Oh, my, he can dance. And he uses his dancing skills to get the world to stop overfishing in Antarctica. Because, of course, when humans overfish, there's very little food left for the colonies of emperor penguins. We're starving them. Happy Feet, the movie, is fiction, and this headline story is real life. A new study published two weeks ago found that four out of five emperor penguin colonies in a specific region in Antarctica very likely lost their chicks last year because of disappearing sea ice underneath their breeding grounds. Now, this specific region in Antarctica, it lost all its sea ice by November, which was very likely before penguin chicks had grown their waterproof adult feathers and learned to swim. So what does this mean? Let's lay it bare. It means that baby emperor penguin chicks either drowned or froze to death because they had no ice on which they needed to mature. Emperor penguins do need sea ice that's stuck to the edge of the Antarctic continent. It is their habitat on which they lay eggs and raise their babies until the babies can swim and fend for themselves. Now, previous research has suggested that if human-caused climate change continues at its currently projected pace and the planet warms by that 2.6 degrees Celsius by 2100, emperor penguins 
could lose nearly 90% of their population and be on the verge of extinction. However, if we keep global warming to under 2 degrees Celsius, emperor penguins will fare much better. Yes, they will still likely lose around 40% of their numbers, but researchers believe the population could eventually stabilize and survive. So why am I covering this story? First of all, it's really devastating. Second of all, researchers say this is our first major warning, our first real wake-up call that we should be paying attention to. We're going to take our sponsor break, and then when we come back, I have one and a half stories to cover. They are related. They're having to do with water and climate migrations. They're connected, I promise. I'll see you in a minute. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Before the break, we covered tiny forests and dying emperor penguin babies. Now we are on to a month's long examination by the New York Times into how Americans use their water. Guess what? We Americans, we are using up our groundwater like nobody's business. And of course, the number one cause, there's lots of causes, but the biggest one, overuse. This is yet another example in which our overconsumption habits are creating unnecessary waste and with potentially disastrous results. So the New York Times, again, they studied data from tens of thousands of groundwater monitoring wells all over the U.S. What did they find? Well, they found a lot of things. First, every year since 1940, more wells have had falling water levels than rising levels. 
They also found that many of the aquifers that supply 90% of this nation's water systems are being severely depleted. They also found that those oversized industrial farms and sprawling cities are draining aquifers, and it could take centuries or millenniums to replenish if they recover at all. And that's a big if. Researchers conclude that, quote, another climate crisis is unfolding. It's underfoot and out of view, end quote. And this water crisis, I've covered it before on the show, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But the water crisis, the global water crisis, does not get much attention, does it? What, when there's stories of wildfires and hurricanes and fish fleeing for their lives and rapidly warming seas, there's more pressing and more depressing news headlines to cover. However, let's lay bare the facts. Some states are already feeling the pinch. In Kansas, for example, the major aquifer can no longer support industrial-scale agriculture. What does that mean? It means corn yields have plummeted. What does that mean? It means that if the decline of corn yields are to spread, it could threaten America's status as a food superpower. How about New York State? Over pumping in New York is threatening drinking water wells all over Long Island. In Phoenix, Phoenix, by the way, is one of America's fastest growing cities. It also happens to be in the desert. The water crisis is severe enough that the state has said there's not enough groundwater in parts of the county to build new houses that rely on aquifers. And finally, in Utah, California, Texas, so much water is being pumped up that it's causing roads to buckle, foundations to crack, and fissures to open up in the earth. This is not a doom and gloom Hollywood movie. This is real life. And so we're overusing water, yes, but we're also, at the same time, living on a rapidly warming planet, which, again, exacerbates our water woes. Global warming is shrinking the snowpack that feeds rivers. This, in turn, causes us to increase our reliance on groundwater to sustain communities and our lawns and our crops. And a warmer world causes more surface water to evaporate, doesn't it? That leaves less to seep through the ground to replenish overstressed aquifers. I'll let your imagination go wild with what life will look like what society will look like, perhaps, when we run out of water. I'll just leave that there, and then I will transition into where I want to leave you today, which is all about finding climate havens. So let's just recap the summer, right? Wildfires, droughts, floods, the weather extremes that we've faced in the last three months, here in America at least, are enough to drive some people to pick up their lives, sell their homes, and find a more climate-friendly place to live. And yes, experts say there are some places that are better suited to deal with climate change, including the Midwest, inland Northeast, the Northern Great Plains. Those are three examples in the U.S. that could offer refuge. Now, how do you know whether a location is better suited for dealing with climate change than the place you're living now? Well, experts point to two main factors. Number one is geography, and number two 
is the place's ability to take in newcomers. I personally would add a third, and that is the availability of fresh water. Um, See, I'm connecting it back to our previous story, but we'll get to that in a minute. So let's talk about geography first. Consider the Midwest. It's inland. It's away from those rising and hotter oceans that are going to cause more floods and more intense hurricanes. The Midwest is farther north than other areas with naturally lower temperatures. And then, of course, there are the Great Lakes that provide reliable sources of water. And then the second factor, according to experts, is the ability to take in newcomers. Does the area have enough affordable housing? Are residents welcoming to outsiders? Are local and state governments preparing for population increases? If the answers to some or most of these questions are yes, you may have found yourself a potential climate refuge. So in a previous Headlines episode, I mentioned research from a former Harvard University professor. He named Duluth, Minnesota as a great place to move to if you're concerned about climate change. So Duluth, Minnesota, Detroit, Michigan, Cincinnati, Buffalo, inland New England is a great choice. However, can I just talk about inland New England for a minute? Vermont. Vermont is inland New England. It's not on the coast. It has cooler temperatures. Sounds great, right? Well, If you've been really paying attention to the weather this summer, you might remember that Vermont was absolutely destroyed by flash floods this summer. So I make that point just to say that no place is immune from climate change. There's no perfect place. I recently met a couple from Florida. They scrimped and saved their money to build their forever home. They built their home on a large piece of land. They are as off the grid as possible as they can be. And they expected to live the rest of their lives on this, again, forever home, lots of acreage, etc. However, when they built the house and started living there, their home insurance policy was $1 amount. And now each year, as the years go on, they've been there for about four years now, their insurance premium, their home insurance premium continues to double year after year because let's remember, Florida is in a hurricane zone. And so premiums are going up. Premiums are going up other places as well. If you've listened to previous headlines episodes, you already know that to be true. But they're finding that they cannot live in their forever home because they cannot afford the home insurance year after year. And so I'm toying with covering this topic in a future interview on the podcast. And so if you were either, number one, seriously considering moving to a climate haven, or number two, have already done so, I really want to talk to you. Just send me an email. I'd love to pick your brain. That's it for today. We will be back on Tuesday. Have an amazing weekend. Reach out. See you Tuesday. And take care.